It's a verse that came to mind when I thought about fathers and setting an example and doing that is out of Ephesians, I think it's 5 or 6, and it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If we do that, we set an ultimate example in our homes just by loving our wives. We set the example of Christ just in doing that. And so it's a foreshadowing of that. That's why it's compared, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So over time, that changes how we love our wives, how we sacrifice for them. But I encourage you to do that. So as we get ready to start this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this time and opportunity to come together to worship you. And Lord, we just ask that um, all of the different baggage that we all bring today, Lord, we've got hurt, we've got anxieties, we've got troubles, we've got struggles, Lord, that we put them at the foot of the cross this morning. I thought Aaron's words were very appropriate, Lord, that uh, not to let the Satan tempt us to despair. None of us have been perfect. None of us have been perfect fathers. None of us have been perfect husbands or perfect sons or perfect daughters. Lord, but that all got nailed to the cross. And Lord, we strive forward that we would just continue to renew our hearts, to renew our minds, Lord, and let this day be better than the one before. May we continue to do that. Lord, open our eyes this morning, open our ears. Lord, give me the words that you want me to bring to your body today. Lord, that we can use these words to strengthen ourselves, to maybe convict ourselves, to realize what you have done for us, the magnitude of it, and how we can turn around, Lord, and bring glory to you in how we live, and what we do. Father, I just ask that you would bring, be with us today, Lord, as we cast our burdens at the foot of the cross and remember that you did all of these things for us, that we would have life and have it eternal. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The message today is entitled, that's well, not up there, um, is entitled, a, uh, His Sacrifice, or A Sacrifice Led to Our Salvation, And then the second part of it will be, our sacrifice leads others to encounter the Lord, or it should. And our base text is one you know very well. You don't even have to look it up. It's John 3.16. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what I want to do today is I want to look at three words out of this passage. And the first word is the word war. Word, word. The first word is world, the second word is gave, and the third word is believe. So we'll just pick those apart, see what they mean, understand the sacrifice that was done for us, and how hopefully it can lead us into sacrificing for others. So first the word is world, and, and it means humanity. In other words, it means you and me. Um, look at what it says about you and me and God. It says that God loves you. Don't miss that. God loves us. He loves us. He's not an angry God up there waiting for us to mess up so he can smack us down. He loves us and he wants to encourage us. He wants to lift us up. And you say, I haven't been doing a very good job as a father. Well, go to the Lord. He loves you. He wants you to do a good job as a father. He'll show you how to do that, right? So don't miss that. What it means is that God loved you and me so much that he desires to solve this 
huge problem that we have in our lives, and the problem is sin. You see, God is holy, and that means that there is no sin in Him, nor can He have any sin in His presence. And so ultimately, that creates a problem for us because we're sinners. And if He says, I can't have anything to do with sin, and I'm a sinner, then i got a problem because God's over here, and I'm over here, and I'm separated from him. And therein lies our problem. God can't tolerate sin in us. In fact, in Romans 23, A, it says, the wages of sin is death. So if I'm a sinner, and Romans 23, the first part of Romans 23, tells me that the wages of sin is death, that means eternal death, separated from God. That means my destination is to spend eternity in hell versus eternity in heaven with him. And that's the bad news. Thankfully, there's good news that comes right behind that in the second part of that verse. And what it says is, um, back in John 3.16, if you look back at the passage, it says that God loves you and He desires for us to spend eternity with Him. And so the good news is, in 6.23b, where it says, but God's free gift through Christ is eternal life. In other words, we're naturally separated from God due to our sin problem, and He's given us a way to solve the problem. So anytime we have a problem, somebody comes along with an answer and we embrace it, that's what God's doing. And that brings us to our second word. And I think this is the key, well, I don't think, I know this is the key word here, and that's the word gave. Gave, really, if you want to look in your, in your scriptures, what it means is that God gave his son. Well, it's not like here, man, let me give you a piece of paper. The word really is sacrifice. God sacrificed his son on a cross to reconcile us to himself. And we had a show of hands in here earlier of fathers, and everybody who raised their hand was a father. Can you fathom giving, sacrificing your child for somebody who hates you? Put it in perspective. God, we were separated from God out of our hatred of him. That's what the scripture says. Darkness hates the light. That's not popular today, but it's reality. And so when he looks at that, and we look at that, and he said, you know what? I love you so much that I'm willing to send my son to die for you. That ought to give us pause, and I hope it does. Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, don't miss the point. Christ died for us, even though we were and are sinners. That's how much he loves us. And what I want to do today, hopefully, um, is, under, is, is, is help us realize that there's nothing we can do. We can't earn our way to salvation. We can't do things that make God love us more and do other things or not do things that make God love us less. He loves us completely. He loves us unconditionally. Now, is he happy with us sometimes and how we're doing? Well, sure not. But his love never changes. And sometimes I know for myself, I can get hung up and thinking, well, God doesn't love me as much because I'm not doing this, or he loves me more because I'm doing that. That's works mentality. And that's, I, I can work my way to God, or I can work my way away from God. Once saved, always saved is what the scripture says. If we could do anything to earn our way to God, to make him love us more, then what we're really saying is that Jesus died on the cross, but yet what he did wasn't fully able to save me, so I need to give Jesus a little boost, a little help. Doesn't work that way. He doesn't need help from you or me to do anything. What he needs us to do once we're saved is to bring glory to him. 
Since the fall of Adam, God has required a blood, a blood sacrifice to atone or pay for our sins. So animals were ritualistically slaughtered, sacrificed to cover the sin problem. The challenge is you could never get ahead of the curve. Because you're constantly sin. I don't know about you. I still sin moving forward even though I'm a born-again believer. And so I'm constantly having to make these sacrifices again and again and again. And that's why in, in, in Judaism, they had a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that was the one day of the year where the priest went behind the veil, which is where the Holy of Holies were, where God dwelled. Very different than today. God dwells in our hearts as believers. Then he didn't. He dwelled in the temple. So once a year, that high priest would go behind the veil and he would make a sacrifice for the people for all the sins that they had either committed and knew they committed and didn't give a sacrifice for or sins that they didn't even know they committed. But the problem was, once he came out from behind the veil, you started the, the clock over again. You still had these sins going forward. You had to do something about it. And so what did God do ultimately with his people? They were in slavery in Egypt, and he was going to free them from Egypt. And his plan to do so was he was going to send the angel of death to kill the firstborn males throughout the land. And it didn't matter, it was all males, it didn't matter whether you're Egyptian or Israel, Israelite, all of them were done. And so what, and his plan, he came to, he said, he came to the Israelites through Moses, and he said, I got a plan for you. When the angel of death comes, what I want you to do before he comes, here's when he's coming, I want you to take a, a perfect lamb, unblemished, the best one you got, right? And I want you to sacrifice it and put the blood above the door and on the doorpost, on the lintel of the doorpost, so that when the angel of death comes through the land and he sees the blood, he'll pass that house by. Your perfect, unblemished lamb. That was the idea behind that. And what did John the Baptist say when he was in the Jordan? He was baptizing people and Jesus came walking forward. What did John the Baptist exclaim? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right there, he saw it. And I mean, just boom, he, he's been waiting. Think about John. He's Jesus' age, roughly, so he's in his early 30s. He's been doing everything God's called him to do for all these years. And then one day he looks up and bam, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God sacrificed his son on the cross. He performed the greatest gift to his children by making the last sacrifice, do you see, that would cover all the sins. So no longer do we have to go and do that. And when Jesus resurrected from the grave and then he came and our salvation comes, he's covered us in the blood. And our final word in this passage is believe. And believe is what ties it all together, right? God loves the world, you and me, right? You have to look, when you write, when you see the word world, put you, put your name in there. And then he, um, he gave or he sacrificed. I like the word sacrifice better because it really shows what he did, right? Uh, his son for the payment of our sin, if we only believe. It's not a works transaction. It says if we only believe. The scripture says if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So it was his sacrifice that led to our salvation. If God had not put his son on the cross, we'd be in big trouble right now. And he sacrificed him for us. So is this the end of our lesson? That would put us at about 12 minutes, 13 minutes, and we could all go home. I can't, you know. You think Conrad preaches long? 
Hang on. No, once saved, always saved. When we're born again, we're clothed in his righteousness. What that simply means is we take the righteousness of Christ because we're sinners. And we take that and we put, it's like putting on a robe, right? You see, if you go to the, the doctor's office or you go to the hospital, you see the, the, the physicians, they come out and they've got a white robe on, right? It makes them stand out. from that, Think of it that way. All of our sin is all inside us and he's seen. And he puts that robe upon us. So when he looks at us, he sees us. He sees us through the righteousness of Christ, right? And that's when our new story begins. So my question for you is, how are you doing with your new story? If you're born again, the old is dead. The, the, the new has moved forward. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says, I'm reading this out of the NLT. Since you have heard about him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus... Throw off your old evil nature right, and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. And here's the key. Instead, or in place of, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. Interesting. No, we haven't concluded our message or our lesson, but what I want us to, to look about is if God sacrificed his son for you and me, what are we sacrificing for him? You see it all the time, and you see it on TV shows or movies where somebody will save somebody, and then that person's following them around everywhere they go. Oh, let me do this for you. Let me do that for you. Let me do this for you. Let me, right? Why? Because you saved me. Shouldn't we have that same attitude with God today when we look at that? God sacrificed something that was most precious to him, most precious to him, for us. So the question is, we need to be asking ourselves, is what are we sacrificing for him? I think the idea behind it is our sacrifice, what our sacrificial service to the Lord, which is what he's asked of us, can lead others to an encounter with Jesus. Can't necessarily lead them to salvation. That's between them and God. Our job is to lead them to an encounter with the risen Savior. That's what we're supposed to do. That's our calling. That's what it says right there. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's for you and me. To spread God's word throughout the world, and certainly throughout our little part of it, requires us to sacrifice something to make that happen. As we saw in John 3.16, the word sacrificed means God gave, right? And that's a verb. That's an action word. James 2, 17 uses the same concept. It says, so it is with faith. If it is alone and includes no actions, then it is dead. So if we're not doing things, I would say purposely doing things, to bring glory to God by following what he's called us to do, then are we dead? Is our faith dead? I mean, God, God didn't save us for us to sit on the sidelines, even if we're second string, Aaron. <laughs> he didn't call any of us to sit on the sidelines. He called us to get in the game. And that's what I want to challenge you today, to get in the game. Romans 10, 13 has a great promise. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever, right? Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's really cool when you look at that verse is that it's simple. 
There's nothing, there's no work to it. If you call on the name of the Lord. But you know what's great is now, let's, let's, we're going to spend some time here in Romans 10, 13 through 17, 18 through there. And look at some of the things that follow behind that simple command to call on the name of the Lord. Verse 14 says, How then will they call on him that they, in, in whom they have not believed? Uh-oh, uh-oh, wait a minute. So I'm supposed to call on the name of the Lord... So I've got lost people out there in the world that are supposed to call on the name. We know they're supposed to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. That's what they need to do. But then it follows up and it says, how will they call on him if they, in whom they have not believed? So they haven't believed in him yet. And then the next sentence says, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? You know, America today is so different than it was in the fact that you literally have so many people out there that do not know anything about God, do not know anything about Jesus, do not know anything about the gospel message. Or at least for me, you know, my generation, a lot of people at least knew, knew what it was, right? May not have done that. You know, I laugh with my kids when I tell them, yeah, on Sunday mornings, even the rock and roll stations got shut off in Orlando, right? Because, you know, we can't have devil music going on on a Sunday morning. Stores were closed. All those things. We have people now who have never, never heard anything about, who they have heard the name Jesus, but don't know anything about what it means. Know as much about Jesus as they do about Buddha. And that's what this is saying. How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And then the last, next line in verse 15 says, and how will they hear without a preacher? Now, what I want to do is I want to back up. And I want to tell you that the word preacher there does not mean Pastor. Does not mean pastor. The word preacher, or the word pastor, the word pastor is a noun. You know what a noun is? Person, place, or thing. All right? The word preacher, the Greek root of the word preacher is evangelizo, or evangelizo. It's a verb. And what it means is to bring, to bring or declare the good news concerning the Son of God as proclaimed in the gospel. That's what that preacher word means. It doesn't mean the pastor. So let me read verse 15 again to you with the Greek, with the Greek de definition in it. Here's what it says. How then will they call on him and who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone to bring or declare the good news concerning the Son of God as proclaimed in the gospel? And that someone is you and me. It doesn't fall on Pastor Aaron. It doesn't fall on Pastor Conrad. Actually, it does. It's on all of us have that responsibility. Pastor Conrad, Pastor Aaron, our deacons have additional responsibilities on top of that and our elders. But the base responsibility is the same one that you have from God, which is to tell people about Jesus. In other words, we look at that and we say, in verse 10, 15 says, how will they preach if, unless they are sent? So we go all the way through 13, 14, 15. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the great news. But how will they be saved? How will they call on the name if they haven't believed? And how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear without us going and telling them? And then verse 15 says, And how will they preach unless they are sent? We're in the year of missions. That's one of the things we're doing. We're raising funds right, to send missionaries out in areas where we're not. But it doesn't absolve us of the responsibility of being missionaries ourselves because we are. If Jesus Christ has saved your soul, you ought to be excited about it. And you ought to be looking at God and saying, you sacrificed for me, what can I do to sacrifice for you? 
And that's why I like the word sacrifice, because it's so important for us to see, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. That's 1015. How beautiful it is. In other words, God looks down and says, you know what beauty is? Beauty is the feet that take the good news to lost people. That's what God sees as beauty. He goes on in verse 16 and says, However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So it's not everybody's going to believe the good news. That's not our job. That's between them and God. Our job is to take the news to him. And then it closes with verse 17, which is so cool. It sums it all up, sums all these verses up. It says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus isn't on this earth physically as a man anymore. So it's our responsibility, if you're born again, to be his mouthpiece. That's what it is. It's just telling people about Jesus. Telling people about who you were. Telling people about what God did for you and who you are. That's why when I go back to... uh, Give me a second. Go back to Ephesians... That five, I love that when you look at it. It says, since you've heard about him and you learned the truth, throw off that old stuff, right? That former way of life, which is rotten. Instead, there must be renewal in your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness. And you know what? This is cool right here. Righteous, holy, and true. I don't know about you. I don't think of myself as very righteous or very holy. We're very true often. But righteousness just, righteousness means I got Jesus' righteousness on me. That's what gets me through. Holy means I'm separate. Uh-oh, uh-oh, wait a minute. If I'm separate, then does the world see me as different? Or are we just like the rest, we just like the rest of the world? Faith comes by hearing. So what is the responsibility of the church to the action of sacrifice? The church is made up of believers. So if we're in the body then individual sacrifices are directly linked to the sacrificial acts of the church, which are directly linked to the spreading of the gospel, because that's what we're here for. I mean, we're not here to gather as a club. We're here to equip ourselves to bring glory to God in how we live, in how we act, right, and how we share our faith. That's what we're here to do. Otherwise, why wouldn't he just take us home when we're saved? Boom, up, there you go. No, he's left us here for a responsibility. And we're writing a new chapter for ourselves. Are you writing one today? Have you written one this year? What's what's your new new song look like? What's your new life look like? Is it any different from the old one? Hmm. Simply stating, we want the church. So this is our mission statement right here. That's, That's one. And here's another one. We love God, we love people, and we serve the world. Call it a mission statement. So between the statement, right, everybody can acknowledge the statement, and, and I think everybody in here would acknowledge we, you want to accomplish the goal, which is to serve the world and to preach the gospel to all. But in between the statement and the end game is where the work and the sacrifice is. And it, it's not, I mean, this is not a, uh, this is a context board. For lack of a better, this is a context board. This isn't sitting back. And letting things happen. The mission critical function of the church, which is to proclaim the gospel, is squarely on the shoulders of you and me. As we serve or we sacrifice for the world, I believe we must ask ourselves some questions. It's how I operate because it seems to work for me. Why are you here today? To worship a risen Savior, to hear words of encouragement, maybe some admonishment, or to check it off the list so you feel good about yourself. 
Or you think, oh, God's going to be pleased with me. Went to church today. This church is committed to providing you with opportunities to deepen your faith. Um, and I can tell you with confidence that there are lots of ways to do it. They were here for that. The service is one. We have small groups, 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Highly encourage you to get. We have several different ones that you can get part of. The idea of being there is to equip yourself to grow. You can ask questions. You can, you can, you can get to know other people because Christianity, even though it's a contact sport, it's not a solo sport. It's a team sport. It's family, right? We're family. When you hurt, I need to hurt. When you celebrate, I need to celebrate. Can't do that if I don't know you. Can't do that if you don't know other people. And so we build those relationships in those, in those small groups. We have Wednesday nights. We have Bible studies. We have men's prayer band. My challenge to you is, are you involved in any of them? If not, why? And that's what, they're, it's what we're here for, is to equip you for those things. Amen. As a body, we have to be committed to knowing and growing in the Scriptures. And that requires us as individuals to be committed to something. Right? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves for the mission and for each other? Are we sacrificing of ourselves for each other? Are we committed to loving and supporting each other in spiritual growth? In other words, can you build a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ and say, Hey man, are you growing? Where are you going? How can I help you grow in your faith? How can you help me grow in my faith? Hey, would you pray about this? This is, a, this is an Achilles heel for me. Or this is something in Scripture I don't understand. I haven't, can you go through this with me? Can you pray with me through this? If we're not communicating with each other and praying with each other over concerns and gr- not, just, not just prayer issues like, I hope this works out, but prayer issues like, hey, man, I want to understand. I don't know why I'm not growing. My, my, my roots aren't going down deeper. I feel like I'm shallow. How does that happen? And those are the kind of things we pray are. Are you serving the needs of this body in the community? People will know us by our love. Are we committed to sharing the good news with others in our little world, little W, world, and the big world, which is accomplished around the world? Just like the way that every day out in the world our Christian witness is on display, what does the world see? Do they see us clothed in righteousness or do they see us no different than everybody else? Holy means separate. Now, we're not called to be out of the world because we need to be salt and light within the world. 1 Thessalonians is a great book. Um, and you know, it's interesting when you, when you read the book of 1 Thessalonians or you study it, the, what you've realized very quickly, and we're going to read a few verses out of it, is Paul's... So the, the church had been established, and I don't remember how long it had been established, but a few years. And Paul's writing a letter back to him, 1 Thessalonians. And what he's writing to them, he's saying, is, you guys are rock stars. You got it. You're doing really well. In fact, let me read 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Listen how he talks to them. He says, We give thanks to God always for you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness in hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip down to verse 5. It says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power of the Holy Spirit. You also became imitators of us in the Lord so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, watch this, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. Wow, you know what that means? Every place that the Thessalonian believers went, right? Every place your faith has, towards God has gone forth. In other words, everywhere it went, it's like it's dripping off of them. 
this faith, this something's different about him. He, look, he says, you have become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's a big area, by the way. That's not, hey, you become good in this. Look, that means that their presence from Thessalonica was spreading out all over the region, large region, as an example of what it means to be followers of Christ. And so I look at that and I read that and I say, am I an example to all the believers in this greater community? And when I go places, when I go forth, every place that I go, that God has gone forth, is my faith dripping off me? Are people seeing me in every setting? Going, what's different about you? Why are you happy in there? Whatever it is, that then they come to me and say, man, what, what, you, what are you all about? I need to be different. So the point is, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and he immediately starts out with telling them what a great job they're doing. Okay? So you would think the whole letter would be up like that. He wouldn't have to remind them of anything. But then you go to the end of the book, in chapter 5, and he closes with some interesting things. He reminds them in verses eight and nine, or, um, 9 and 10. It's back to a reminder just like we're doing today. Everybody knows John 3.16, but we needed to read it again and maybe see it in fresh light. And he said to them, he said, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So at the end of the book, he's reminding them of the basics which is don't forget about, you weren't destined for wrath, you got salvation through Jesus who died for you. And then he goes on with this list of about 20 things that they need to be doing. And I find it interesting because he starts off the letter by saying, you guys are doing a great job. And then he ends the letter by saying, don't forget about this and, and do this, 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 right? Why? I think he does it because he knows we're all apt to kind of drift back, right? And get comfortable in what we're doing Right? And not stepping out for the Lord, not sacrificing for the Lord, not seeking those prayers that say, Lord, what can I do today that will bring glory and honor to your name in my interactions every day? And so he closes with this, and it's, it's all this, and you know what? Everything that he reminds them to do after he's reminded them of where their salvation came from is a sacrificial act. Every one of them, let me, I just, write, I just read, read through what they're doing. Encourage and build up each other. Pay proper respect to your leaders. Treat them with love. Live in peace. And basically, treat them in love and live in peace in order to do that. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient. Make your aim to do good. Be joyful. Pray at all times. Give thanks. Heed God's word. In other words, listen to God's word and obey it. Put all things to the test of Scripture and abstain from every form of evil. We will cultivate a sacrificial heart when we grasp the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. Paul told the, Thessalon the, the, the church at Thessalonica the same thing. For God didn't destine you for wrath, but salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you. That's our reminder. We grasp how unworthy we are to stand in the presence of the Lord. That should motivate us to tell other people about our risen Savior. We should be so in awe of His majesty, we can't help but fall to our knees in reverence, for what he did for us that then reminds us, what can I do for your kingdom? God says, I want all the glory to me. I'm a jealous God. So remember the norm of the Old Testament. They were always, everything was works. Everything was on all works-based concept. And so you follow the rules best you can. And since you can't make up for it, you can't be perfect. You got all these rituals you got to go through. And the basis of God's love is not works, but righteousness in Christ so why do we easily fall for, I think, the, the, the workspace in Christian life? And it's because of how we are and how we're raised.
right? So you go to school, you're in elementary school, what happens? If you behave and you're good, you get a star by your name. If you don't behave or you don't do so good in class, then you get a red mark or something. By So we're all in life, in your job. You do a good job, you get a promotion or a raise. You you do a bad job, you don't get the promotion, you don't get raised, you might get fired. So we have a works-based mentality in life, and it's so easy to bring that into our faith. I do. I do all the time. You know, I'm thinking, oh, God's going to love me more because, boy, I did good with that. Or, you know, he's sure not loving me good. You know, all those things, everything is works. And you know why we, I think we fall for works? Here's why. Because it's easier than loving the unlovable. It's easier than forgiving people that are not repentant. It's easier than praying for our enemies. It's easier than reaching out to those in need. And it's easier than sacrificing our time to share the gospel in word and in action. Christ calls us to do so much more than follow commandments. He wants us to follow his example of sacrificial living. If you're born again, you got the power of the Holy Spirit inside you to equip you for any kind of work for the kingdom of God. Now, 2,000 years later, we have to guard ourselves from falling into this practicing and updated version of an Old Testament law. We're not under the law like that. Follow, 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 follow. There's grace involved, right? We need to understand what the law is, but we've got the Holy Spirit in us. So ours can be, and here's our works mentality. I show up for church on Sunday morning. I sing, I praise, I worship, I listen to a message, and then I go off and live for myself for 6.85 days until I show back up next Sunday morning. That's the challenge. I know it is for me. God made the ultimate sacrifice for me, and I am, unfortunately, I am often too busy, I'm too overcommitted, and I'm too selfish to sacrifice for God because it's all about me. God made the ultimate sacrifice for me. If we don't sacrifice for him, we won't sacrifice for our brothers and sisters in Christ, will we? I think they go together. God calls each of us to sacrifice ourselves for him. And it's really quite simple if you understand where you came from and what he did for you. That should be the only motivation we need. Woe that we would ever let Christianity go the way it's gone in Europe and the way it's gone in Macedonia. Maybe think about it. The church started in Macedonia in that area, right, where Paul was doing all this. It's not there anymore, right? The Thessalonians were rock star Christians. Not anymore. You know where the great, next great explosion of Christianity was? Europe. Martin Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, Spurgeon. You know what's happening to Christianity in Europe? Dead. Dead. The next place Christianity really ramped up here, right? Edwards, Wesley, all of them. It's fading, people. It's fading. And I think it's fading because we're not doing the sacrificial living that God's called us to do. And you know where it's exploding now, you know? We, we, we have countries in Africa sending missionaries to us. I mean, that's unheard of. But it's happening. Why? Because they're praying and God's showing them, you need to go to that lost USA and bring the gospel to them. Hmm. If God isn't permeating every aspect of our lives, then the church won't prosper. And so we have to look inward first and say, what am I doing? The Lord has new things in store for this church. I, I, just, I believe it. I see it. Um, in, in so many ways, but we have to embrace the sacrificial living that Jesus did and embrace it in ourselves. It's time to get on with the business of the king. And that's really what it is. 
It's time to get on with the business of the king. God so loved you and me. Therefore, let us make a stand for the kingdom of God and for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Aaron, you can come up. You know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I've laid that out pretty clearly um, out of Romans. I would implore you today, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today is the day of salvation. And um, so we'll give a few minutes, not long. If Lord's working on you, then um, come up and talk to me. I'll talk to you about it. i got two or three other people that could be glad to talk to you about, about the Lord. And let's make today the day of salvation. Let's make today, maybe you want to come up front and pray, and you want to talk to, to the Lord about sacrificing for Him going forward. Maybe you want to talk to Him about, you ever have those concepts? It happens to me sometimes where I'm put in a situation, and, and I don't think of what to say for the Lord. And then an hour later, I go, oh, I should have said that. It would have been perfect, right? Why is that? I think for me, it's because I'm walking in the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit. If I walk in the Spirit, then spiritual things would be coming to me. I'd be seeing that opportunity. Oh, you know what? I can tie that situation spiritually in and tell somebody about Christ and do it. But if I'm walking in the flesh, then I don't even think about it. So I invite you today, if you want to come up and pray, come up and pray. And if you don't know Jesus as Lord, come talk to me. Come talk to me. Let's settle that thing out today. Amen? Sure,